Greetings, and welcome to the 80-Level Roundtable Podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off-limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. Okay, well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, We are very happy to welcome you to our little roundtable. So uh, it would be nice if you could do like a little introduction and tell us a little bit about yourself so we can start. All right, so my name is Dries Drekre. Um, I am one of the coordinators at Digital Arts Entertainment, an award-winning curriculum in Belgium at West University of Applied Sciences. Um, we're a degree that focuses on game development and um, special effects for film. Um, and we have six majors, um, which is four for games and two for uh, film. Um, Of those six majors, we have uh, Game Graphics Production, which is the graphical major, uh, which is also the major that I am the coordinator of. Uh, Next to that, we also have Independent Game Production, which focuses a bit more on the local industry and also on uh, more of a producer profile, uh, more of an entrepreneur profile, someone who knows some coding, who knows a bit of graphics, um, who knows some artistic style, but also knows a bit of business management, which is something that the other majors don't see. And uh, then we've got game development, which are, are balls to the walls programmers. Um, they know everything about low level programming and game engines. Uh, and then we also have a major, and that's a new one, sound design. Um, and that major focuses mostly on, uh, of course, audio for games, um, but also the integration of audio in games. Um, so they see how to make their own sounds and how to um, implement them. Um, but also all the technicalities behind behind actual sound design. And then on the film side, we have two different majors there. We've got the visual effects major, who focuses more on special effects and is a more technical major. Um, So we're talking about um, explosions, but also um, special effects like keying out a certain character in a scene or rotoscoping or those kinds of things. So the more technical aspect of VFX. And now we've got another major called 3D animation, which is, of course, about 3D animation. So um, you will focus mostly on character animation there. Um, well, with still a little bit of a technical blend. So that's the main profile that we try to push out in uh, digital arts entertainment is that I wouldn't call it a technical artist per se, but a, a, a real technical artist profile uh, in the sense that uh, every single graduate from uh, the most artistic to the most um, technical uh, graduates has a portion of art and a portion of programming. So even our most artistic graduates know how to program um, and know some basic scripting skills. Uh, They understand what a class is. They know how code works. Uh, But even our most um, low-level programmers or software uh, programmers or engine programmers um, even they know how to make a 3D model and how to uh, rig something and how to bake something, how to texture something in Substance Painter. So that's a profile that we really want to focus on, someone who's extremely versatile, um, but mostly in the sense that they are very good at what they do and they know what other people do in their uh, pipeline as well um, so that they can anticipate uh, on certain problems that might arise uh, from that pipeline. 
Um, so that's who I am. Uh, that's what Digital Arts Entertainment is. That's cool. Thank you so much for the like extensive profile. So, um, so how long has the school been doing this, and uh, how did it all start? Because um, I've been in Belgium like for um, like I think once, and I met a couple of people, and they were all talking about the schools because it's like yep. one of the one of the biggest places there in Belgium, but also one of the biggest in Europe. And mm -hmm. it is it doesn't only teach like games and three D, right? So it's like no, a huge no. university. Well, actually, it isn't. Um, we are so digital arts entertainment is a degree, a program inside of West University of Applied Sciences, um, and we're actually um, the smallest college university inside of um, of Belgium. So uh, we have a lot of students in the digital arts entertainment program itself, uh, around one thousand two hundred students. Um, but in total, um, the entire University of Applied Sciences has around 8,000 students currently. So we're not that big, actually. Um, but yeah, the, our degree, our program has met a lot of success with um, certain qualifications and certain awards that we've won. Uh, and that gave us a very strong international profile. So the next question is probably... Who teaches there, like in the university? Because there is a number of schools, very good schools out there. And uh, what we noticed is that in the majority of cases, to receive really good results, you have to have practicing professors, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to have people from the industry to teach there. Mm -hmm. So how does it work in, in your university? Well, we have uh, quite a few lecturers that uh, have industry experience, but most of our lectures. Well, um, yeah, most of our lecturers uh, teach full-time at Digital Entertainment. So they are also full-time um, busy with checking out new software, checking out new tools that uh, come into the market. Um, so we have a bunch of people that uh, have one foot in the industry and one foot um, in our school. And that helps bring in that experience. But we do think it's very important that people have the time to um, to teach themselves things uh, that are new. Because in a games company, um, sometimes they definitely in large AAA studios, they wanna be careful with adapting new uh, technology that isn't like um, proven, that hasn't proven itself and isn't proven to be stable enough. Uh, because that's one thing we have to take into account, right? Our degree is three years. So when we start teaching our students and they will graduate in three years or in four years, we have to, make sure that um, what we teach them at the start will be relevant when they graduate. So we kind of have to not guess, but I mean, in an educated way, um, try to see where the industry is going. Um, so that's one way. Um, we have a lot of young teachers as well, um, in the sense that uh, people are very passionate about what they do. And they usually have, um, they, those are usually the people who bring the skills into the team. Um, in the sense that uh, the people who are very passionate and very focused and very specialized into one part, uh, like for example, they know a lot about Unreal Engine or they know a lot about 3D modeling. And then we have um, also a very large part of our team is consists of uh, more experienced people who also have a larger didactical knowledge um, because it's one thing to know 
how to 3D model or how to program or how to draw, but it's another thing to teach that, right? Um, so we need to make sure that we also have those skills in-house to know how to teach those things. Um, so we have a very diverse team uh, because of that. We have a lot of young people. We had a lot of um, more experienced people. Um, we have people who are in the industry. We have people who are um, full-time teaching. We have people who are partially research and teaching. Um, so that that huge bag of different disciplines, different um, people um, makes it a very strong team, definitely because we're all very passionate about what we do. Um, and that makes it an extremely strong team. Um, definitely if you have that large of a volume of students that you need to uh, push into the industry. That's a, that's a cool, um, cool story. So um, I had a question. So you mentioned that you kind of have to prepare people like three yeah. years in advance. So you kind of have to look in the future, so to speak, like for a little mm -hmm. bit. So I guess you made the I right decision. What's coming. Yeah, yeah you're like with like substance painter and substance mm -hmm. designer. Those are the tools that weren't actually there like five, seven years ago, right? And then it just appeared exactly. like with like uncharted for stuff like that mm. <laughs> and but probably... one of the main one of the main reasons for us that substance designer and substance painter became so prominent um was partially because it's used in the industry of course but one of the core reasons that a lot of software gets adopted by us is because it's free for students um that is like one of the biggest biggest musts for us if you if we want to teach a certain software if it's not free for students then we're most likely not going to teach it um, because we are a publicly funded institution we don't have the uh, budget that large american universities have for example or large uk universities have um, so we have not the kind of budget that they have and um so having to pay for a softened license of like $200 for every single student would be a big no-go. Um, so things like Speedtree, for example, that are, uh, or, or other software that, that is not free for students is sometimes hard um, for us to get our hands on or teach. So basically every software that we use and that we set our standard to is free for students. Um, we have our Autodesk software um, like Maya and uh, 3ds Max. Um, that is free for students. So that's like a big plus for us because that's also like an industry standard. Substance Designer, Substance Painter, they made that free for students um, pretty sh early in their lifetime. And I believe that's also like one of the reasons why it became so prominent, right? Why they are now market leaders. Uh, because if you make it free for students, then we are, what are you going to choose? The software that does exactly the same as this that you have to pay for? Of course not. You, pay, you pick the free version, right? So you pick the free version, those students learn that and then all the students go into the industry and what are they going to use well they're going to ask if they can use the software that they learn to work with right um, and usually the price ranges are the same so companies don't care if, if they use one software or the other software as long as it fits in the pipeline and it's uh, not super expensive um, so that's one of from i think one of the core reasons um, that Substance Painter, next to being an extremely good tool, of course, uh, that Substance Painter, Substance Designer became such prominent tools in the industry. Um, same with um, uh, 3ds Max and Maya is also, um, but I think that's more of the legacy that they have. Um, but also, for example, uh, Unreal Engine, uh, Unity, 
it's also extremely handy that that's free software that we can use. And now since the acquisition of Quixel and Unreal Engine is also a tool that we now use very extensively in our courses. Um, but there's also other um, software that we touch on. Um, let me just quickly check. Um, we do, for the, like one thing is we do have our students do pay for their Photoshop and Adobe Creative Cloud license uh, because that is unfortunately not free, but we don't really have a choice in that regard because I mean, it is the industry standard, not just in the games industry, but literally everywhere else. Um, same with ZBrush, but they do have reduced licenses, uh, re reduced license costs for students, so that helps. But things like, for example, Marmoset, we can't use that because that's like 200 euros 200 or 200 150 euros per student so i mean we can't do that for just a viewer so we have to use free alternatives like sketchfab for example which is also uh, good enough for what we want to do um so yeah free software is super important for us in that regard so uh, apart from uh being free so how do you choose the software that you're gonna add like to your curriculum and you're gonna build on because i know like with universities you have to build a program you have to follow exactly. the program and so, then when some disruptions happens like the exactly. some new tool comes up like during this process so what do you do so exactly we um well we have our legacy right we we have the legacy of of the programs that we already use the software that we already use so we have a very good idea of what's being used in industry because we have close contacts with a lot of different uh studios and um we go visit them when there's when you have interns there for example we have an internship fair where we when we talk to those companies with those companies also come and give talks at our school so we have very often we contact them we talk with them uh, we also keep up to date of course with the industry news that's nothing special i feel um so then it's a bit of an anticipation game right um you try to figure out what is the industry shifting to uh, when we see a lot of studios that are starting to adopt certain software um, that is like new or when we talk to them and we're asked like yeah did you see that uh, new piece of software uh, that popped up are you gonna use that or do you think about using that and it's most like words word to uh, mouth to mouth info uh, like that um, trying to get a, a feeling of what the industry feels um, that they're going to head into um, Houdini is like a prime example of that you start talking to people they're like oh yeah Houdini is like a super cool tool we're not sure how we're going to implement it yet or if we're going to implement that um, but like that's something we we are jumping on um, very massively now um, because next year we are starting to roll out a new version of our curriculum, our sixth, um, our fifth version of our curriculum, um, which is like, we have a lot of courses there that are focused on Houdini um, because it is becoming a bigger and bigger tool. Because I mean, right nowadays, um, you have, your budgets are much larger, but having to do everything manually is just uh, like an insane job, right? So having those procedural tools is something that we're, focus on quite hard um, for example in game graphics production we have uh, in our new course uh, three new courses three new classes that are completely focused on procedural uh, game development uh, making procedural environments procedural assets procedural textures um, so those tools like substance designer and houdini are going to become more and more important we feel so that's also a focus that we're shifting towards 
That's but, actually the same thing that we see on our side because we see exactly. Houdini being used like all over the industry in games like mm -hmm. from Far Cry to some smaller exactly. indie productions. So that's a great addition to your curriculum. So I had another and, question actually. So yeah, actually, I want to add something to sure, what sure. I just said. Uh, we also have a, a research group, right? Um, and they are more looking into the B2B uh, side of things. Um, so it's more uh, not B2C, so not really commercial, but more business uh, solutions. Um, but they also do have like a finger on the pulse on what's happening in that sector. So, and that's also a good influx of information because usually when um, they feel a shift happening and what's happening there, it's a good indicator that that will spill through into the games industry as well. Um, mm. So having that um, uh, factor to keep into mind is also super important for us. I got you. So you have a research facility, you learn about the industry, and you obviously talk a lot with the companies who are mm -hmm. like in the business right now. So my question is connected with uh, basically job placement. So you have students, they graduate, and now they need to find employment. Mm -hmm. So how do you work with that? What are the ways that you help your students find work? How do you work with recruiters? Maybe it happens while they're studying, or maybe it happens when they are already graduated. So yes. it'll be nice to know. Right. So we have actually our curriculum is completely built about around getting people into the industry. Um, you can see it very clearly in our structure. Uh, we have an introduction year. We have a specialization year. So that's the first year. And then in the third year, um, we focus more on group work on more individual research skills in the first semester, which is from September to January. And then from February to June, they um, do a five-month internship. And that's also... That, that's for every major, and that's also where everything comes together, right? It's the last thing they do, um, the only thing they do in the second half of their last year. And they just go on an internship. They go work in a real company with real budget, with real co-workers on a product that's going to ship and make money. Um, and usually those students, that's like a perfect springboard for those students to then jump into the industry because during those five months of internship um, they learn to work in an actual company environment and they um, um, they get valuable contacts uh, they get some industry experience and that's also perfect on their uh, CV um, on their profile to then uh, go into further into the industry uh, often students stay at their internship and get offered a job there um, or they move on to a different studio where they also get a job offer um, of course we don't just say yeah go find an internship and uh, leave them alone uh, we do a lot of different things to make sure that our students get into contact with our with the contacts that we have uh, we have an annual internship fair in the first half of that third year um, like early in october to make sure um, that, or October, November, it's kind of like the timing, to make sure that our um, students get into contact. Um, we oblige them to go talk to at least three companies. Um, they make, uh, they print out a portfolio, they go walk around. It's like, it's like a physical fair basically at our campus. We transform our entire campus into almost like a small company conference. It's always super, fun to be there and and all those interesting companies that are there um but yeah um we have that we have our industry talks where they can also get into contact uh, with those people um and very often because now we have a bit more of an international profile that people are interested in uh very often um we have 
when a student says like, hey, I'm from DIE, then people are usually more inclined to listen uh, to what they have to say. So um, next to, I mean, having a strong portfolio, of course, because uh, that's also a strong focus that we have. Uh, but that internship is is really the where it all revolves around and then making sure they can jump into the industry from there. Um, so this internship, it's not uh, just limited to like Belgium and Europe. No, it no. It could be like um, international, right? Yeah, 40%. 30 to 40% of our uh, internship students uh, go abroad. So that's quite a lot. Um, so yeah, they go everywhere. Um, they go to Sweden, the UK, um, some go to Canada. Uh, we have uh, we had an internship in Japan last year. So, um, and usually that's around every year, we have around 120 people, students that go uh, onto an internship, so wow, that's really uh, international, like global, yeah, mostly, like yeah, all definitely. Over the world. Uh, yeah, they go everywhere. Um, and then when they graduate, when they finish the internship, um, we have around thirty percent of our students uh, go everywhere, um, like literally everywhere. I'm talking U.S. Uh, we have some students in Mexico, in Canada, and we had someone in Japan, um, uh, even um, yeah, like in in. In Europe, they're basically in every country, Sweden, Finland, Spain, France, uh, Germany, you name it. Mm -hmm. So um, how do you help your students organize their portfolios and uh, the way they present themselves? Because for somebody who is doing games, it's kind of a mm -hmm. challenge because you have to have like static images, but they don't really sometimes show mm -hmm. what you're doing when you need doing VFX or you're doing Houdini. And especially mm -hmm. when you're doing code, that's super important to, to look yeah. at the clean code. And I know exactly. companies actually make decisions based on that. Mm -hmm. So what is what are the ways that you recommend users and students show their work? Um, so in general, um, we have a couple of rule, core rules that probably everybody has heard by now. Um, like your portfolio is only as strong as your weakest piece, um, those kinds of things. Um, show on your portfolio the technical background of how you made it but don't make it boring um, in a sense that a lot of a lot of people just like slap a uh, normal texture and a, and a uh, like a base color on there but that doesn't if it's just a flat texture that you paste underneath your mesh that doesn't really say a lot um, so integrations like sketchfab and stuff like that so uh, uh, recruiters can actually check out your model and how you made it is, uh, is super important. Um, it's also how we um, make sure that our students uh, make, what, what, that's what we expect from our students, right? When they uh, have to hand in project or projects or assets that they've made, for example, they always have to put it into a game engine or into Sketchfab or something, um, just so they show that they can import something in a, so it's not just like a screenshot from, for example, Substance Painter. We don't like to see that. Um, um, yeah, uh, on top of that, just making sure that there's a certain focus on their portfolio. Now, um, we have a lot of, well, not a lot, but we have students that, that take their portfolio uh, and like show that they have a high poly car on there and then they have an environment in Unreal and then they made like a gun, um, uh, which is, like high poly, big to low poly, and the standard pipeline. Uh, and then they have like some concept art on there. So it's like all over the place. And then the recruiters are often like, yeah, but what exactly do you want to do? Um, so we expect our students to, in, our, in their last year, 
to focus on something, um, to pick a topic that they would want to excel in, uh, and then they have time in their graduation work to um, research certain topics about that. Uh, and then the, in their group projects, they take a role inside of a group um, where they want to become, for example, more of an environment artist, or if they want to make some 3D characters, for example. Um, yeah, so focus in your portfolio, um, making sure that you don't have old work on there that doesn't represent what you do anymore. On the other hand, uh, another thing that I do tell my students very often, and that's something that I feel gets for, uh, that, that, that is forgotten a lot, um, is that people tend to focus so hard on their portfolio, uh, but they tend to forget one, one exceptionally important aspect of having getting a job in the game industry is it is that the portfolio gets you your job interview. It doesn't get you your job. Your portfolio gets you a job interview and it's your personality and how you behave and who you are as a person that gets you your job in the end. Um, because you can be a really good 3D artist, but if, if you behave like an asshole or an, if you're just not a fun person to talk to, then people are not going to recruit you. Um, and that's also something that we find equally important. Um, and that's a bit harder to quantify and a bit harder to teach. Um, but we do make sure, and that's another part of the AIDA that, that is exceptionally strong in that regard, is that we have an extremely active and very powerful community. Um, we make sure that everybody has a chance to make friends and make sh we make sure that there's a lot of activities for people to come together um, to just have some fun now and then. Um, and that, I feel, makes them also much more sociable um, and that also, um, when we make sure, well, we want to make sure that, that our graduates are also humble in what they do. Um, like we we want to instill in them this this idea of, of learning and lifelong learning, right? Um, because it's not when you get your job that you're done, right? Um, it, it's more than that. You got to keep improving yourself and that is also something that we try to instill in our students so if i had to sum it up i'd say um make sure that you that your portfolio is strong obviously um but try to focus your portfolio onto something specific that you want to do um it's better to if you want to become a weapons artist have three guns on there don't have one gun and an environment and a and a character on there. Um, you can show that environment and show that character um, that you are also able to do other things. That's not the problem. Unless if it's uh, if you have the feeling that the quality is not that high, right? Um, because again, your portfolio is only as strong as your weakest piece. But on top of that, uh, never forget that your portfolio is just there to catch the attention of recruiters and to get you a job interview. In the end, it's also about your personality and who you are as a person. If you're not likable, then people aren't going to want to work with you. Uh, so, so that's also something that I feel like that gets forgotten often. Yeah, thank you so much. Actually, that's uh, that's the douchebag advice that I always give yeah. to students. So don't be a douchebag because nobody will exactly. hire you, that's for sure. So <clears throat> I want to wrap it up with asking basically about the current situation and maybe your look at the way education games is gonna evolve so to speak right mm -hmm. so with the COVID, everybody's kind of locked at home and exactly. i know the studies continue off online in zoom mm -hmm. and so on so what's your take on that how do you handle this problem and 
how do you think it's going to influence the way people are studying? Because it seems that it also opens a lot of opportunities for students, right? So they have now a connection that it's not physical and it gives them more mm -hmm. freedom. Exactly. So uh, what I think is really interesting about the whole situation is um, that we had some ideas, like a lot of ideas about, okay, how can we make this more online? How can we use the technology that we have um, more ingrained um, into our teaching, right? Um, but you never want to make that push because you're afraid something's going to go wrong. Um, and that might do irreparable damage. The problem is now we didn't have a choice, so we had to. Um, and that's what makes it interesting, a super interesting test case um, for the tools that we're using um, to teach our students. Uh, we use a lot of Discord. Um, we see a lot of people use Zoom, but uh, we prefer Discord um, because we're also a bit more used to using Discord. Uh, well, a lot of our students are, let's put it that way. Um, and also Discord is a pretty powerful tool we found, um, definitely in the sense of just streaming uh, what you do. Uh, next to that, what we stream on Discord, we also record with a tool called Panopto because that's just an integrated into our learning environment. Um, so we use Canvas as our learning environment at school, uh, and it's Panopto is integrated into that. So we just use that as a, when we record our teaching sessions. Um, but what I think is interesting is um, our students are even though we do our best, right, to make sure that, um, that we all the information that we give is out there, um, that they can check our classes, they can check the recordings, getting the information to our students is, we feel, not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is motivating our students. And that's also one of the biggest um, things I feel like that is forgotten about what a school does. Um, schools are not just there to convey information to our students, right? Um, They're there to also motivate our students to work with the tools that we give them, to work with the information that we give them. Um, and also to um, get motivated to work on projects and work on their assets and environments that we're making or work on their project for a code uh, for, um, like, for example, their graphics programming assignments. Um, that they that they get motivated um, to do that, and a big factor of that is something I already mentioned is our community, um, because we, when you have such a tight community and when you have a bunch of friends that are good in a whole variety of things, you push each each other to uh, work on that assignment together, and and you push each other each other to um, to motivate. Uh, yourself, right? And that's a really big factor that we're lacking right now. Um, and it's very clear to us that we could teach students completely online. Uh, we can um, bring a student from a very novice, zero experience level, zero knowledge level about 3D to someone who's a decent 3D artist in the end. But to us, that will never be um, a, a digital arts and entertainment student um, in the sense that, um, I, I mean, I, I'm talking about students that uh, if they if they would have to go through our entire curriculum without ever being physically at our campus, right? I'm not talking about our current students. Uh, but those students will, if they have to graduate without ever being part of that community, they will never have that true DIA vibe to them. Um, 
because a, a strong part is that community and is that working together part uh, of our curriculum. And that is something that we feel like we can never replace. Uh, we can't bring that online. Um, having those, uh, we have, for example, uh, Thursday study nights where um, people stay until 11 uh, p.m. at our campus. Um, there's drinks, there's a bar, uh, and students just have fun and they have a drink and they play some board and card games. Uh, but there's also rooms where students are just um, working together on their game project or they're working together on like their 3D assignment. We have a bunch of first years that are just helping each other. Uh, there's a bunch of second years that are uh, also there and they're just having some fun and, and or they're working on the game project. And then we have a first year that's like, yeah, I'm really stuck and you help me out. And then our second years help them out or third year that's there helps them out. So that that kind of community feel you can never bring that online you can simulate that with some channels in discord and having uh because we have community managers that are very actively um pushing events online and they're making sure there's uh online workshops uh online um workout sessions for example we have um, people who do crossfit at our school or other zumba classes at our school and they uh, bring that online and students uh, attend those but it's still online it, it nev can never get that same feeling that you get uh, when you're physically together so that's that is the one thing um, so conveying information not that big of an issue uh, we get there, we have a recording, we have our classes, but motivating our students to um, take on this huge mountain of work uh, that is becoming an expert 3D artist um, and um, being part of that community is, is something very hard to bring to an online setting, um, even with the best care in the world. So I guess your answer to the question is that when this whole thing is gonna blow over, it doesn't mean that schools are just gonna completely go online, right? So you will still need to like get together, exactly. spend exactly. time together. And especially for game development, it seems like such an important part of the process, right? Because mm -hmm. you have to be in the room with another person to make this creative juices flow mm -hmm. and to understand what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it will never be the same. Uh, you can make a game completely online with a team that will never physically see each other. It is possible, but if you take the same amount of time and you put those people into a room together and they can work physically together, I do absolutely believe the result will be better. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know you're probably super busy, so... Uh... I'm fine right now. I have time uh, <laughs> to talk to you. And uh, yeah, we're very happy to he hear from you. And uh, if you have any interest in students or they have wonderful work, please feel free to send them over to ADLab. We would love to do like publications Definitely. with them, promote them and help them find work like whatever they can. We uh, often update our website, uh, digitalartsentertainment.be. I'm just copy and paste that into the chat here. Um, where we often update like um, alumni that we're proud of that we that make certain things uh, we recently posted an article on there of uh, tim morales who works at uh, airborne studios in germany uh, mm -hmm. he made a bunch of the characters for overwatch for example uh, so we often paste uh, paste post new stuff on there uh, if you're interested uh, you can definitely check out uh, those articles there. But I, I will definitely share uh, some interesting artwork that our students make uh, with you. There's always cool. some cool stuff on there. 
Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP and share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.